iOS helps you control which apps you share your exact location with. There's more to iPhone. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hello and welcome to Danny in the Valley, your weekly dispatch from behind the scenes and inside the minds of the top people in tech. I am your host, Danny Fortson. Thank you, thank you for tuning in. So a couple quick housekeeping notes before we get started this week. One, I just wanted to thank you guys, everyone, for listening last week. I know it was obviously a bit of a a different type of episode. <laughs> it's very short. But I wanted to just say thank you to, to those of you who reached out uh, to show your support. I really appreciate it. And if you're interested, I wrote a personal piece about my and my family's experience through all these kind of protests the in the wake of George Floyd's killing and kind of everything that's been happening here in America. And when I say experience, it's more of just how we have experienced it. Uh, we're all safe and sound, but it's it's kind of struck us and struck me in a particular way. And I wrote about that in the Sunday Times last weekend. So if you're interested, have a read. It's pinned at the top of my Twitter feed, or you can search for it on the Times website, though, to be fair. Our search function is a bit... Um, unpredictable, let's say. But anyhow, I do appreciate your support and for listening. And we're going to kind of try to get back to uh, normal service, so to speak, this week, even though, of course, there's still a ton going on. But we're going to bring a couple shows for you over the next couple days. So before we do that, I also wanted to spread some good news. So Tales of Silicon Valley, our other docu-series that I did last year, has been nominated for not one, but two categories in the British Podcast Awards. One is for the best business podcast, and the other is for smartest podcast. Yes, indeed. So the winners will be announced next month, but um, yeah, it was just super cool. That was really the project that took a lot of work, principally by myself and my producer, Chica, and we, we got it across the line, and people seemed to really dig it, and now we, we've got some recognition for it, so that's awesome. If you haven't listened to Tales of Silicon Valley, do it. If you find it wherever you find your podcast, obviously Apple Podcasts, wherever you listen, it's there, and you'll be able to hear from me doing mini documentaries on uh, some different tech stories and tech issues. And lastly, just keep an eye out on this feed. We have another very interesting guest this week, which is very relevant to the current moment that we find ourselves, particularly in relation to tech and race and that whole, how those two intersect. This one's coming first just because of logistics and when we could set up interviews, etc. But I think you're going to like that one. And I really think you're going to like this one, which we'll get to right now. Yo. Technology. 
What is it all about? Before I see some of these tech stars, tech titans go on stage, I see them filled with nerves and freaking out backstage. And then they go on stage and it's like a button is pressed. A question for you. When do you reckon, knowing everything we know now, that you will happily attend a mass event again? And I'm not counting, uh, of course, the protests which have, which have kind of rippled across the world. But what about, say, I don't know, a concert or a football match or a conference even? So the latter is of great concern to this week's guest. Patty Cosgrove is the founder of Web Summit, which is the company behind Europe's biggest tech conference, which takes place every year in Lisbon. It's about 70,000 people. And that event, as of recording, may or may not happen. Still kind of in the balance. But in the meantime, Cosgrove is getting ready to try a pretty big experiment. Web Summit's sister event is Collision, which is a conference, another tech conference that attracts about 30,000 people every year in Toronto. It used to be in New Orleans, now it's in Toronto. And he canceled it in March, but still plans to do the whole event. Usually takes over a whole swathe of the city to do the whole thing online. Yeah which is an experiment lots of people will be looking at because there are literally millions of events like this every year. And in a pandemic, they basically can't happen. So how does this massive industry move forward or does it? These are all very big open questions that no one really knows the answer to. But Cosgrove reckons that he might have the answer, at least part of the answer. He also allows that this might be a total disaster. But we're about to find out. Collision takes place in about two weeks. So we'll soon see how it goes. And we brought Patty on to talk all about it. So it's a fascinating look into one of these parts of the economy that's simultaneously way bigger than you think, but also you never think of really. And it's been just smashed by COVID. And so there's lots of interesting issues here and it has implications for kind of every city who does business with and tries to attract conference business, all that kind of stuff, I think you're really going to enjoy it. So I'm going to stop talking and I will give you, without further ado, Patty Cosgrove, who is the founder of Web Summit, to talk about his grand online experiment and really the future of events as we know them. Is that a hastily thrown up blanket in the back to cover some kind of illicit contraband? Yeah, no, I'm, I'm in the, the little guest bedroom and that is a blanket. Yeah, you've um, correctly diagnosed my, uh, my, my entire setup. My investigative powers are just uh, on Zoom now or next level. You'll have a Pulitzer in no time. Anyway, thanks for taking the time. How are you? Danny, I'm great. It's good to, good to be with you. Thanks for coming on. So we met, I think it was three years ago. I had just moved back from London. Um, I was still trying to figure out what was happening in, uh, in like the tech world. And I heard about this collision thing and it was in New Orleans. And I was like, well, okay, it's in New Orleans. I should probably do that. And it was great. And I was even up on stage doing a couple things, which went mildly well. But it was a really good way for me to kind of just dive right into the deep end of 
you know, kind of playing catch up on all things tech. So you run that conference. That is your baby. And your other baby, of course, is Web Summit in Lisbon. So very basic question. How do you do a tech conference with no tech conference, with no venue? Because uh, that's what you're deciding, right? That's the, that's the news is that Collision is going to be all online. Yeah, well, that's the, 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 literally the trillion dollar question. The size of the business events industry globally is approximately 100 times the size of uh, the entire music industry globally. It's just absolutely gigantic. Makes up a huge portion of business tourism, really good, profitable business tourism, great for hotels, great for restaurants, cities all over the world are clobbered with events and conferences shutting down. That's created, I think, a massive scramble. People are trying to figure out how do they do conferences online. The solution seems to be overwhelmingly, let's use Zoom. Okay, that's, that's, that's a solution so that your speakers can at least be heard. But really, no offense to the speakers, the purpose for most of us going to conferences is networking. I think it's very hard to replicate that online, the serendipity that just happens at events of any scale anywhere in the world. That's kind of the allure or the magnetism that draws people back. And in the absence of any good software, I mean, using a conferencing calling software platform called Zoom does not make your conference a conference. It just makes it a conference call and enabling people to chat to each other, you know, just by switching on chat, the chat function. It's kind of a poor man's version of a, of a conference. So it's very difficult, I think, for a couple of million events around the world, across every industry, to do anything. In our case, we spent 10 years organizing or building software to enable us to run conferences. It sounded like a crazy idea 10 years ago, but the idea of using software to do anything at, at a certain point sounds crazy when the guys behind Pixar told the world they, they weren't going to use pencils and pens, they were going to use software. People thought it was a ridiculous idea. It almost didn't happen. And then eventually it became the most important animation studio, you know, I'd say in the, you know, in the world. In our case, for a long time, I think people have dismissed the fact that we've more than 50 engineers and product managers, uh, data scientists now, and have been building software for an awfully long time. We certainly never planned for a pandemic, but in a sense, we're pretty pandemic proof. So we're excited about running a conference online. We could just pivot quite naturally to doing that. We have all the software to do it. We don't need to use Zoom or any other platforms. We've all of our own video conferencing tech, and that's shaped in a way that allows people hopefully to have interactions, networking moments that are somewhat similar to the real world. They'll never compare, but hopefully they will allow people from all over the world in a particular industry tech connect with each other in a way that they had previously been doing at Web Summit and Collision and other tech conferences around the world. Before we get into like the nitty gritty of that, I have some other nitty gritty questions around what happens when you cancel a conference? I mean, New Orleans, you kind of take over New Orleans, then you were in, I think you moved it to Toronto. And obviously, these are deals that you negotiate with city leaders, and you have to sort out all of these contracts, hotel space, vendors, venue, etc. I mean, these are big, multi-million, often multi-year deals. And is it just kind of, oh, force majeure, sorry? It is a very good question. You take the example of Web Summit. I mean, on paper, when we signed the new contract, the direct economic impact from 
effectively the four days of the event was worth about 300 million to the city. That was the, the spend of all of these companies and people coming from around the world and, and, and doing everything that they do over approximately four days. So over 10 years, in theory, the value of the contract was, you know, was about 3 billion inflation adjusted, maybe three and a half yeah, yeah. Over, over the duration. And so that's a massive blow to any city. There's nothing they can do in the event of a pandemic. In, in our case, I empathize with many conferences that have had to, initially I didn't, and I didn't really think it through. I, I, you know, I wrote a blog post in March saying anybody who cancels a conference should be offering refunds to everybody. And the truth is almost no conferences can do that. Why? Because there's no alternative means of effectively running anything uh, online. There, people haven't really built the platforms yet. There are a couple and we could talk about those. In our case, it was a bit rich of us to say that because we could offer everybody refunds and also say, well, you know, we can do this effectively online if you'd like to join us. Most people said, great, I'll keep my ticket for 2021 and I'll enjoy this online conference in June. So it was a little bit unusual. There's now, you know, unfortunately, South by and others have class action lawsuits against them related to not offering uh, refunds. But I do think there's good reasons. Their entire business was essentially got a, a fatal blow from COVID-19. There is no alternative. So cancelling the conference for us, it was, you know, we're the only large conference organizer that builds software. Therefore, it's relatively easy for us. It's hard, obviously, for the city because it's a, it's a major blow, but I don't think any city wants to be responsible for organizing events that become moments of transmission, which yeah. you know, unfortunately we were seeing that through uh, early March now that we look back. And I don't think, even though Korea, China, Germany have begun to green light uh, conferences again, you know, I'm not too sure when, the, when normality returns, if really ever in the, well, in the short term at least. It'll return at some point, but certainly not possibly in the next... Um, few months to that point because i mean obviously all we've been writing about and podcasting about is the coronavirus in one form or another and there is a growing kind of group of people in the medical world and elsewhere it's like well quote unquote normal isn't going to be normal when you know when things open up there's going to be hot spots things are going to like shut down open up you know it's going to be kind of a lot of push and pull and it's probably going to be years before there's a vaccine or this thing, you know, we can actually just go out the way we used to and go to a place where there's, in Collision's case, whatever, 25,000 people in one place from all over the world. A conference is about the people you meet there. So is this not a, like an existential problem for your business or anybody who does conferences? It is. And I know so many event organizers and we're, we're working hard to, I mean, the, the piece that we're doing, we've continued to hire people during this crisis, which is the total opposite of every other event organizer. And part of the reason we're hiring a lot of people, I mean, you can just look, share the people we're kind of hiring on social media and the job roles that we've got available. We're trying, we always thought maybe the, we'd get to a day where our software will make it available to other people. Much the same as Pixar eventually created this thing called RenderMan that James Cameron is used for Terminator 2 and our other movie directors for all sorts of other amazing movies. But the timeline has kind of been shortened and we're going to try help a lot of major conference organizers run versions of their event by Q3 or Q4 of this year by accelerating the opening up of our, of our conference platform to two third parties. It's, 
it's not a it's a very weighty series of things uh, and it's not really of use to your kind of small 500 person local conference it's it works really at scale that's what we've built it for so hopefully hopefully we can help other some other conference organizers, because I do think this is existential. And we've been very, very fortunate. We're able to build a compelling product that people seem to want to buy tickets to. Yeah, I just feel we've been fortunate so far. But, you know, maybe, for example, we run Collision from Home at the end of June and everybody says, well, that sucked. (laughs) Nobody's ever going to buy a ticket to any of our online conferences again. And all of these people that desperately want to organize their conference online are like, we're not going to pay you any money to use your software. It's terrible. And then we get to the end of June and we're like, okay, we're in the same boat as everybody else. We should probably let 90% of the company go immediately. Right now, we're kind of sailing in different waters to everybody else by complete and utter chance that we had a thesis from the very start that software could transform conferences. Usually, major conferences are organized by trade associations like CES or Mobile World Congress, yeah. or they're organized by media companies like TechCrunch or Recode or so, you know, something like that. The New York Times, Wall Street Journal, probably you guys as well, Financial Times, organize great events. And we're none of that. We're we're not connected. We're not some highly networked person. We're not a media person, we're not a trade association person. And we just set out trying to organize a very real world thing, injecting a little bit of software, a tiny bit of which is used by our attendees through the web and mobile apps that they use when they come to our events. They heavily use the mobile app, most people. I think when you're a journalist, you're quite privileged when you come to Collision, for example, because we literally just park you in the speaker room and we set you up with some things. So you're kind of ready to go, but for the 99% at the event, the app is all powerful to them. It's their tool that enables them to connect with people they might not have otherwise ever met. And when you're in a room with 5,000 or 10,000 people, there are absolutely people you should meet. The challenge is finding them. Sometimes serendipity strikes, and sometimes we like, you know, our aim is in some way to try and engineer serendipity, which is, can we figure out who it is you should meet and then try and match you guys together. So for att- attendees at Web Summit, spend nearly an hour a day on the app. Everybody has to download it to get on site. It's the tool. It's what makes people yeah. come back to, you know, there's many reasons people come back to Web Summit, but it's, it's the, the core ingredient. And it's really the primary differentiator between us and, and, you know, and everybody else. I mean, we might be entirely wrong in our thesis. We <laughs> might just be smarter than everybody and do all the other stuff that everybody else does better. But I really don't think we are. I've met other conference people that organize events. I'm like, oh, this guy's just like me. The only thing we do differently is we kind of build software and internally we're totally persuaded. We've, you know, more than 50 people dedicated to this full time now, you know, for many years. I hope to God we're right because if we're not, we've, we've wasted this immense amount of time building all of this stuff and utilizing it and seeing great usage by attendees. And um, anyway, hopefully hopefully it translates um, online in June. And if it does, we've fluked it. We just might be a marginally pandemic-proof business. Also, June might be a complete shambles and nobody ever wants to use our online platform again. So <laughs> so how many people were set to come to Toronto in June? Was it 20? It's 20 odd thousand? Yeah, we we just over 25,000 last year. We said, you know, we we're aiming for kind of 30,000 people. We kind of set that and we hoped that we'd kind of fly past that. And looked very much on track. And then suddenly at the start of March, we decided 
we just had to make that decision to cancel the event. There was just, in our minds, no possibility. We talked with the federal government, the state and city governments are all partners and city government yeah. would be the most important. Uh, we talked it through with them. We also have an event in, in Hong Kong. Hong Kong is, I mean, I think in time people will realize, wow, Hong Kong has had a grand total of zero deaths in care facilities or, or, or nursing homes. It's almost like... I think it's, yeah, zero deaths total. I mean, or like five or something. It's like, it's tiny. And on the border with China, it's... And you listen to interviews with some of the professors and they're like, but what do you mean there wasn't a plan? There was a plan. Yeah. There's lots of research on this. You could have just done these things. It's not, yeah. it's not a fluke. We just, we just had, a, we had a, a folder with stuff that we should follow and we just followed <laughs> it. It's not that hard. Yeah. We're, not, we're not smarter than you, America or UK so, or so, Ireland. So that, that RISE conference that's also been nixed. Yeah, so we, we, we had actually, by chance, nixed it on the basis, earlier than that, on the basis that the ongoing protests in Hong Kong made it very difficult. It's a very Chinese-heavy event, and for many, right. of the, many of the CEOs of major Chinese companies and uh, the major VCs in China that come every year, it's a large public event that's like a magnet for people protesting against, uh, against China. When was RISE supposed to happen? Uh, March twenty. 20. We, we had pulled that earlier, but we were continuing to be in very close contact with the, with the city. And, you know, some of the officials were just telling us, you know, how are pandemic preparations going in your country? And we're like, why? What are you guys doing? And they're like, we're in total lockdown. Everybody's wearing masks. And we're like, this is early January. That seems a bit alarmist. And they're like, no, you should really do this now. And um, they proved to be incredibly prescient and knew exactly what they were doing. Uh, and we'll untangle our, our mess and reflect and do all sorts of inquiries and, and um, realize where we've gone wrong. So we, we just made that decision. Fast forward to the very start of March. We shut down our entire office in, in Ireland, 200 plus people, sent everybody home to work remotely. It's relatively okay for us. We have a strong work from home culture and teams that are fully remote already, managers that are fully remote. So it, it wasn't huge. Got a quite a bit of blowback on social media being accused of pulling some sort of publicity stunt in Ireland at the time. This was a ridiculous move. And three or four weeks later, the, the whole country was yeah. working, working from home. So we got lucky twice over in a sense that we were ahead of this. Partially, I, I, I would like to say because of Hong Kong, if we hadn't an, had an event in Hong Kong, I don't think we, anybody would have been whispering in our ear going, wow, your country, wow, all of Europe is really... Oh God, all of the West, you guys should really shut down already. And uh, these are competent state kind of officials. So, so we started to shut down a little bit early, gave us a bit of a head start. And we called off Collision before South by Southwest called off their event in March. You know, and at the time, you know, a lot of people kind of thought it was ridiculous. It was quite difficult for some people in the company to understand how we could be making this decision as far forward as June. But the kind of the, the experts, many of them in Asia, were telling us this was the absolute right yeah. decision to do. And I think in Toronto, very fair to Toronto as well, those around Mayor Tory and Toronto in particular had previously dealt with a number of outbreaks. It's a very cosmopolitan mm. global city. Yeah. Uh, they, they have some pedigree uh, in this, so they're very understanding. So Rise was cancelled. Collision was cancelled. Web Summit is the original and biggest event that's like, what, 75,000 people in Lisbon? Yeah, about that, about 70,000 people. It's currently in the hands of the gods. On one level, whilst I see large events 
50,000 person events in China and Korea beginning to happen again. Germany planning for those types of events in a number of months. I remain quite cautious about Web Summit happening in person. That will ultimately be the decision of our primary partner and host, which is the Portuguese government. We'll fo follow their advice. I mean, at the end of the day, it's their country. So if it doesn't happen offline, it'll certainly happen online. And I think, I hope the demonstration effect of Collision from Home will help people realize that conferences can be run somewhat effectively online and the networking component, which I feel is sorely missed from so many of the conferences in inverted commas that are now happening online, which are really yeah. just co conference calls that you can, yes. you know, there's a messy chat that people are saying rubbish and you can't actually, you can't network with anybody. I mean, it's just, a, it's just a bad YouTube channel. So I, uh, yeah, I'm kind of hopeful either way, but I also might be naive. These are very uncertain times and you never know what's going to be around the corner. And, we, you know, we could very easily go the way of so many other major conference organizers who don't build software, who are completely up against the wall and in dire straits at the moment. In a way, you guys aren't unique in that virtually every business has just been completely clobbered by this. But the idea that you have three events a year and two have been canceled and the third is on the bubble, you seem quite chipper. Again, again, you know, maybe, maybe, maybe it is naivety. I think a lot of our attendees are used to using our software. So most people seem to be organized that are organizing online conferences on Google Hangouts or Zoom or whatever, you know, whatever platform they use, aren't charging for their content. There's no kind of effective way of doing it. We're charging a hundred bucks for tickets. You know, we don't have any costs like, you know, renting. 100,000 square feet of, of uh, square meters of halls, building stages, you know, having 2,000 people construct everything. You know, these are, these are massive uh, costs. So suddenly we don't have any of those costs. We've got, you know, some costs for AWS servers, but, you know, it's modest. Our cost base has declined massively. Our ticket prices have also come down, but also the, the ability for people to participate from anywhere in the world, suddenly you can have a sounds corny, but a front row seat at Collision, which is technically supposed to be in Toronto, in New Zealand. You don't have to absorb any of the costs. So for a lot of businesses, even if they're up against it at the moment and they're selling something, suddenly, as opposed to the all-in being $10,000 to attend this conference, travel from the other side of the world, stay yeah. in hotels, eat out, it's basically, yeah, I'm just going to do it from my house. And it's 100 bucks. I might meet somebody, I might get a new customer. What were the tickets before, you know, in the normal world, what were tickets? I think they're, they're three, I kind of forget, they're $350 or something like that. So it's a little bit cheaper. In the case of Web Summit, we've been constrained by the scale of the venue. Portugal are due to double the size of the venue in a year or two as part of the kind of contract. So for the last two years, we've been gated in terms of the number of attendees we can have on site simply by the infrastructure is only so big. Yeah. Doing it online allows us, you know, we can go to 200,000 if we want to, in a sense, it's much easier in a totally online world to rapidly get people to interact with each other. So say for example, our current iterations of our, our, our mm -hmm. web and mobile app never had a video conferencing baked into them. So for the first time, we, we've had the feature sitting there. And we've had these kind of debates. Should we switch this on? Should we not switch this on? And then philosophically, we're like, no, 
No, if there's a real world event, you want people to find each other, chat with each other and arrange a time to meet, but they can walk 800 meters or a kilometer from one hall to the next hall. They're not video chatting each other inside a app that defeats the purpose. The software is a means to get people to meet each other in the real world. In the case of collision from home, the software becomes a means, a networking component to get people to interact with each other. And then video is the best way to do that. So we'll switch on the video feature uh, inside the app. It's not Zoom or Google Hangouts. And hopefully, hopefully it doesn't collapse under the, under the weight of tens of thousands of people simultaneously connecting with each other. So whilst there will be speakers and the content is ephemeral, so if you really want to watch something at a certain time, you're going to have to be self-selecting and watch it from 10.20 to 10.40. You'll be able to see everybody else watching. You'll be able to kind of figure, we'll rank the people watching it on the basis of who we think is the most interesting to you. So let's just imagine there's a hundred people watching you interview somebody. You'll see those hundred people, not in alphabetical order, not on the who joined first, but instead weighted in terms of the first person, second person, third person are are out of those hundred people, three people we really think you should kind of connect with. And what is that based on? Is that some kind of algorithmic kind of machine learning thingy you can google it it's it, you know algorithms is just statistics machine learning is just statistics yeah, yeah. ai is just statistics i live with a professor of um statistics for 10 years simon hicks is the foremost electoral political scientist in uh, maybe in the world in europe certainly and simon hicks would regard kevin as number two if you're allowed if you're i think if you're if you're the de facto alpha academic yeah. in a field and you designate somebody else as definitely in the top five. That's kind of, so you can see on my tweets, I sometimes tag Kev and um, he helped build some of the initial algorithms for deciding who should be at what dinner tables and how do we figure out based on sparse information over three nights, who to put on what pub crawls, who to put at what dinners, who should be at what round tables. How do you minimize overlap, maximize the randomization, but build in some constraints. Sorry, this is getting a bit nerdy. If you have a group of 100 people and they're going to spend two days together, how do you ensure you want some constraints? So you probably don't want to, let's, let's imagine it's investors and startups. You don't mm-hmm. want all investors at one table and all startups yeah. at, another, at another table. So, you know, initially it's, it's mostly logic you just state a few constraints and then you figure out how to randomize it uh, optimally over say five moments in groups of 12. So that means there's a dinner with a table of 12. There's another dinner with a table of 12. There's a pub crawl with a group of 12. There's a workshop with a group of 12. So at a, at a scale of hundred people, it's not the most challenging thing in the world. And then at the scale of 10,000, it becomes more challenging. So then the question is, how can you do a bit of surveillance capitalism Shoshana Zabuff and uh, compel people to share information with you. You can encrypt it, which we do. We don't, we don't need yeah. to kind of see the information. Get your, so the, almost everybody that goes to Web Summit uploads their phone book. Half of the journalists don't. They're the sketchiest, most yep. cyn- cynical crowd <laughs> in the world. They're like, Web Summit wants my phone book. No way. Yeah. But your phone book is just a very powerful it's a digital fingerprint. It gives us a good idea, even if you tell us nothing about yourself initially, who you are, and that allows us then to wait, take a guess at other people at the event that you may know already. So we'll surface those. That's quite easy. And then we try and figure out, well, who don't you know from what we can tell about you that you probably might enjoy meeting? And then on the other side, who should we tell 
across the event that you're at the event. And so then we start displaying prominently your profile uh, to other people across the event, not to everybody, but. So I'm just thinking about this in like, um, in the terms of I'm in the room where the journalists hang out and the speakers hang out. I am spreading cream cheese on a bagel that's been out too long. So it's a little stale, not your problem, but I'm hungry. And usually like any journalist, I see food and I just start eating it because it's just out there and that's what we do. And then a guy's at the same kind of stand-up little table. Hey, how are you? Oh, yeah, I'm um, building a company that's going to colonize the moon. This is actually a true story. So then I was like, oh, that's interesting. He ends up being on my podcast and then, it, you know, whatever. It goes on and on and on. In terms of doing this virtually, you know, that kind of spontaneous like, wow, that's a really interesting off-the-wall thing or person. Is it... In the app, is it just like, I'm just looking at the app and then it's like, bung, and there's like, this guy's colonizing the moon. You should talk to him. Yeah. So there's features like, we've got a feature, I wanted to call it roulettes, but everybody was like, no, you can't call it roulettes. I'm like, oh, so it's called Mingle. You just click on it and every couple of minutes, we just, a new person on video just pops up sort of like chat roulette and uh, you can block the person if they're spreading cream cheese loudly and their audio is terrible and you never want to talk to them again. And then after you've talked to them, another person pops up, you just have a quick chat. And then it's very easy. We record all of that for you. You can kind of rate it good, bad. And maybe that, that quick two minute interaction leads to a, a podcast, for example. Then there are more free flowing lounges that you could join. So Shaq might just open a lounge, you can join the queue and it's capped at maybe kind of like 12 people. So yeah. a, lot of, a lot of the groups are capped at around four or five or 12 people or one-to-one. -one. I'm just not, I've, I've invested in some long tail, what I would call event software companies. And they're trying to solve, are trying to build platforms, I would say for the long tail of events of which there are literally millions in the world. And I think some of them are beginning to do a good job. I think Hopin is probably leading, leading the pack. I'm totally biased. I did invest in them. And I do think they're, they're, they're very interesting. They've just launched. But having a chat where about 400 people are just adding mindless things, it's just such a bizarre... I, I don't know. I just don't... That's cool. Nice that you can do it. But that's just not... That's just like people shouting at a stage going... Yeah. Like, you know, it's like, that's, that's just not how people meet each other. People meet each other by spreading cream cheese and somebody walking up to the standing yeah. table going, oh, what do you do? I'm a journalist. What do you do? I'm colonizing the moon. Oh, we should talk. Yeah. Hopefully we can literally manufacture that. It's going to be hard. But at the end of the day, there's four or 500 incredible investors coming. There's you know, a thousand plus startups that we found from all over the world. There's a really intriguing group of speakers from all sorts of different fields from Paris Hilton to Tedros, who's running the WHO, who hasn't done a one-to-one -one interview since the pandemic started. And this is going to be his wow. first one-to-one -one interview. Right. That was not hard to, I did, they, you know, it's great. And we're completely flattered. Hopefully he'll join one of the roulettes or mingles as, uh, as they're called. Hopefully it works and hopefully, hopefully people meet two or three people that end up being of some, some value, whether it's friendship or, uh, or it's a podcast. VoiceOver describes what's happening on your iPhone screen. VoiceOver on settings. So you can navigate it just by listening. Books, contacts, calendar, double tap to open. Breakfast with Anna from 10 to 11. And get on with your day. 
Accessibility. There's more to iPhone. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinarian developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Since you canceled in March, how has the response been from the prospective ten- attendees? Has everybody been like, all right, we'll do this online? Or is a lot of people like, mm, yeah, no thanks, just give me my money back? Yeah, so we immediately went out, messaged everybody, went public saying, anybody wants a refund, you know, just ask. Uh, There's absolutely no problem at all. A small number, five, maybe 6% of people who bought tickets said, yeah, just give me my money back. And some of those, some of those as we've started to reveal more and more, I've done a reverse cancel. Uh, mm. So reverse refund, which is, which, is, which, which is great. And we have also, because it's the first time we've done this, said, look, come to the event. And if you want a refund afterwards, there's absolutely no problem at all. Because at this, you know, historically, you've known us for organizing these real world events with software included. Now we're doing non-real world events with software included. If it's not up to your expectations, you know, just ask for a refund. We've got, we've no issues. So there's refunds immediately after the event for anybody that's, that's unhappy. And if I was an entrepreneur, I'd just buy a ticket and definitely <laughs> 24 hours later going, yeah, you guys give me my money back. <laughs> so, uh, I've, no, I've no doubt there'll be some good, good hustlers who will be emailing us and we'll look at the software and go, you spent about 36 hours <laughs> meeting yeah. people. This is uh, interesting that you want your refund. So hopefully it goes well. Yep. Very excited for what happens in, in June. It's very different. I'd love to be, we're doing a town hall tomorrow where we do a little kind of product demo. Maybe I'll share mm. you, share you on the town hall. I mean, it's just very internal, honest people just chatting, showing, showing what they've been building or focused on over the last number, uh, last number of weeks. So it's fascinating because I'm always curious as to like, so you signed this, I think with Lisbon, for example, you, is they signed a 10 year deal last year to have web summit there. And it was something like a hundred million euro contract or something. Yeah. Yeah. How do those negotiations work? Like for example, collision went from where did it start? Uh, 2015 in Las Vegas, 2016 in New Orleans. And then we moved to Toronto last year. Right. So is it like it grows, it grows, it grows. And then like every year city, a city will call and be like, Hey, that's a cool conference you got there. Why don't you bring it here and we'll give you X, Y, and Z, you know, whatever. I think the proxy where what's actually happened in my view is that countries around the world used to bid for sporting events. Great Britain spent 12 billion hosting the Olympics in 2012. It kind of doesn't wash its face. It certainly doesn't wash its face in immediate direct economic impact. And then I think a number of countries, especially in the West, started Mm. asking themselves questions. Do we really want to spend 12 billion hosting the Olympics? And so Germany, France, Italy, Spain, and Great Britain were all bidding, the UK were all bidding for web summit and portugal Mm. as well and i think what's happened with business events 
is that sporting events have migrated to elsewhere in the world simply because the amounts are I just don't know how they make any sense. You know, I think Russia's like the 15. Middle East or Asia. Or... Yes, the Sochi, the Sochi Winter Olympics, about 15 billion. These are amounts of money that just make, I just don't, I don't make any sense. So in a city, in a city in a country, you're like, oh, so like 10 million, 10 million. And, and we get like 300 million. <laughs> kind of seems like a good deal. So in the end, Spain and Portugal were the, to Spain, Portugal, and Germany were the were kind of the three final bidders. The Spanish deal was on the table. It was very public. And we just went for the, the lower bid for kind of all sorts of reasons. I just kind of, I, better the person you know than the person you don't. Yeah. I was blown away by the charm offense of when the UK were bidding, we were in and out of number 10 Downing Street. We're in and out of the Elysee Palace. We met Pedro Sanchez of Spain, like these guys are so good at rolling out the red carpet and mm. coming from a tiny country, Ireland of four or 5 million people. And you're being like text by the president or prime minister of a G seven country. You know, he can't help you're human. You're like, Oh my God, he just followed me on Twitter. And it, <laughs> these, these countries are, you know, in my head, I, can, I eventually I was like, I think they're just really good at getting the trophies in the cabinet. And then once you're in, your priority 175 because they, they host mm. the G7, they get the Olympics. Sometimes France has got the Olympics coming up. Yeah, yeah. And I really, in the end, I thought, you know what? Web Summit means a lot to Portugal. And, you know, and therefore, we can probably have a much better working relationship so that when the UN Secretary General or Al Gore or is kind of coming to town, it's easy for us to say, hey, look, we'd really love them to, to hang around Web Summit and we'd love you to come down to Web Summit. Let's do everything there. Whereas quite understandably, if, if it was happening in, uh, in London, well, uh, you know, they'd all go to visit number 10. We'd just be another thing that was happening in, in London that week. Yeah. So in the end, we went with the little brother in Europe and uh, gotcha. it's a great brother. The other thing that I've always wondered, especially about your conference. So when I was there growing up, Terrell Owens was a... A kind of a childhood hero, uh, played for the 49ers for many years. He's like, wh- I was like, what the hell is Terrell Owens doing in the green room? Like, I went up and said hello and thought, big 49ers fan, etc. But like, you have Terrell Owens and Al Gore and like these kind of, a lot of like big names that are also completely from left field in terms for a tech conference. Yeah. Yeah. For some of them, they're investors in, 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 in mm. startups. Al Gore is and uh, Terrell Owens is and Shaq, who's coming to Collision is. Steve Aoki, Bono, they have a curiosity in meeting these people. And, I, you know, I think, I think, I think vice, you know, vice versa as well. Like, you know, people are intrigued to meet Bono, but he's just yeah. as nerding it up going like, you know, tell me about Bitcoin or, you know, I want to understand more about Stripe or, you know, yeah, he's made some stellar investments along the way. So he's got good reason to stay interested. And I, I think that's quite interesting when you create a room of, of diverse people, magical and strange, um, strange things can happen. I have to say running an event, it's very interesting because when many of these CEOs go out on stage, you see a version of them that's very rehearsed. And for the most part, I think, it's almost like if you remember being in school at a certain age where you were like, oh, no, the teachers are coming. So with journalists, I, I, I find a lot of the tech CEOs, in truth, they're very different characters, but they become so well-trained and they master it over time that anytime yes. there's a, like, oh, the journalists are coming quickly. Oh, hello, I'm changing the world. What about, what are you doing? Oh, great. You work for the New York Times. Amazing. Yeah. I love you. Oh, the Sunday Times. Fantastic. Great paper. 
And I think there's so much more to so many of these characters. And many of them are characters. They're very normal people at the same time, trust onto this huge stage and elevated by, you know, in some, t- in some cases, the perception of or potential, you know, billions yeah. and wealth and fame. And largely business reporting is somewhat one-dimensional. I'd actually say celebrity reporting is multidimensional because it's, all, you know, there's, you can pry into all aspects of their yeah. lives, but sometimes in business reporting, you have to keep this kind of degree of distance. And as a concept- there's yeah, there's oftentimes a very clear delineation between what's inbounds and out of bounds. And what we try to do as a paper, and generally the British press is more interested in the people than the business itself, because the businesses actually, most of the time, aren't that interesting. It's the people that run them and what they're really about. I mean, when you whenever you can read something that really gets under the skin of some somebody, it's just way more interesting. I don't know. I, I like my job is not to discuss any of this, but you know, it's like I think Netflix in in many ways is 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 amazing, and Reed Hastings is amazing. But in all the profile pieces that I've read, which are you know a lot, I read consume a lot of uh, kind of tech writing. The richness of this human being when he's you know the, there's so much more to these people, including their flaws, and oftentimes. It's their heroic side that is magnified on the front pages of our newspapers and their flaws are carefully papered over by their PR handlers. I, sometimes I wonder if they just only opened up, you know, Elon Musk just does his own PR. And as a consequence, <laughs> as a consequence, as a consequence, I think you get almost like Hollywood level blockbuster type PR. And I think Jack Dorsey to a degree as well quite guarded but run does does you know just does sort of what he wants i think steve jobs did as well and that's just makes him so much more interesting even even though even though jobs tried to control the narrative massively there were just times where his persona just and all its flaws shone through so extremely that it was impossible for anybody in the room or to uh, to ignore it and i don't know there's so much i just feel there's so much more I guess before I see some of these tech stars, tech titans go on stage, I see them filled with nerves and freaking out backstage. And then they go on stage and it's like a button is pressed. Then they come off stage and either they're, they're on a high or they're just crushed because something just went horribly wrong or <laughs> some, some journalist barely knifed them on stage it was the first time in their five years they got asked. Yeah, they just got a little question. nicked. <laughs> yeah, you know? yeah, they got a little nick in there. Um, uh, yeah. and, and so I don't, Ah, there's, there's, just, there's just a whole other world. And sometimes I guess you'll see it. Uh, you see it at these events because you are backstage and, and, and you get to see a little bit more of the humanity. And I, I wish there was more humanity flaws and everything written into the, the tech press. It would just make it so much more interesting because so often it's sterilized by the PR people and it's a bit dull. You know, yeah. oh, well, well done. You added a million users. Tell us more. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> who cares? <laughs> The kind of the future, obviously, is unknowable, especially now. You know, do you see it as viable that you, as a conference event organizer, that the future is just, they don't happen in physical venues? Personally, a part of me would die inside if we couldn't return to real world events. And I'm looking forward to the return. Will the return to events be muted or be more like an elastic band? Everybody's like, finally, I can get out of my house for three days. <laughs> I'm, going on the, I'm going on the complete tear in Lisbon. 
the truth is with conferences, by the way, A, they, sh- they are, you know, when people say, oh, it's just a boon uh, dongle. Boondoggle. Boondoggle. Um, they are that. They're a lot of, they, a good event should be lots of fun and very productive. And, you know, a very productive event that's really boring, you know, that's yeah. okay. And then obviously an event that's just a whole lot of fun, but completely unproductive is unsustainable. So you, you have to marry the two of those together. And I, I, I just think, I sort of imagine that, that there's a, a planet of very itchy humans that just want to go see colleagues, go see former friends, go meet their industry and have some fun. But I could be, I could, I could prove to be very wrong and everybody just wants to go to our events online forevermore. So, you know, I don't, I don't know. I really look forward to another pub crawl and I, you know, I hope Bono comes yeah. and takes another pub crawl at some point in the future. And people are, people, people are amazed that Bono's pulling them pints of Guinness uh, in Dublin and Elon yeah. Musk is wondering, is that the real Bono? Is that, is that really Bono? And you're like, no, no, that's, that's actually him. And that is all the time we have. I want to thank Patty. We did record that before, obviously, the protests, but obviously what we talk about kind of, it all still applies. The protests are in themselves mass events, but obviously more spontaneous. That is it for this episode. Like I said, keep your eye out. There's another one coming shortly. Thank you again for listening. Thank you again for your support. And we will talk to you soon. Stay safe. Stay sane. iOS helps you control which apps you share your exact location with. There's more to iPhone. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health Right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.